in Luke chapter five this morning. We're starting a new chapter in Luke. We're working our way through Luke verse by verse. We're gonna take a break from Luke in April. So once we start on Easter Sunday morning, we're gonna spend the month of April not in the book of Luke. We're gonna do something entirely different for that month and then we'll pick up where we left off um, after that and at, at the beginning of May. So we're working our way through Luke. We're gonna spend the rest of this month in Luke chapter five. And today we're starting a new, a new chapter, verses 1 through 11. So I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn there. If you don't have your uh, Bible, you can always pull out your phone and uh, open the Bible app. And also we'll have it on the screen for you as well so you can follow along with what we're talking about up there. But before we get into that, I want to ask, um, has you, have you ever been about to do something Have you ever been about to start something or about to do something and then had the thought, this is a really bad idea? Anyone, anyone, like where you're you're about to kind of kind of step into a new venture or a new realm, or maybe maybe you're just working on a project, and maybe you've seen the meme. I, I should have I should have had it for you, but um, if you're volunteering at church, this shows a picture of a guy putting a ladder up against a wall, but the ladder is actually resting on on the bottom of a stair rail. And it's kind of leaning over a wall that's on their stairs below. So if they fall, it's probably going to be pretty dangerous if you fall. You know, it's kind of, kind of the, uh, the, the typical thing that happens around churches when churches volunteer uh, to, do, to, to do work projects. You know, we've got the heart for it. We really want to do it, but maybe we don't have the know-how. So we're just going to figure out how to get it done. And if somebody who knew how to do it would come and watch us do it, then they would have lots to say about how we're doing what we're doing, but you know, you're watching somebody do something, and as you're watching, you're saying, this kind of looks like a bad idea. This looks like it might not work. This looks like, like we haven't really thought this through all the way. Or, you know, you're working with someone, and, and they, they had a, a brilliant idea, and you're thinking, um, there's no way we're not going to end up on the news, right? The, the, there's no way that as a result of this, there isn't going to be somebody that has fallen to their death, and we're going to end up on the news one way or another. And so you want to be supportive. You want to be encouraging. And so, you know, you say, okay, well, um, you first. Let's see you do it, and let's see how it goes from there. You know, maybe somebody wants to get up on the roof and clean the pine needles off of the roof, and you uh, don't want to go up there, and, and so you say, ah, you first, let's see how that goes, and then you watch them fall off the roof. That may or may not have happened to someone in our church. I won't mention any names. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to throw you under the bus like that. You're used to it. <laughs> but, but we've all been there, right? We've all been there in life where, where we're watching something and, and we say, ah, this doesn't really look like it's going to work. You know, it, it might sound like a good idea. It might seem like a good idea to one person at, at the time, but you just feel like from what you can see and what you can observe, there's just, it's just not going to work out well in the end. And so you know what's going to happen. Let me ask another question. Have you ever had a lot of your own skin in the game? 
and then have someone tell you how to, how to make the decisions. Or you know, maybe if you've ever run a business, right? If you've run a business, this, this has happened a lot to me both as a pastor and some of the other businesses we've run, like photography, right? You, 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 you do all of the investment, like with our photography business we used to have. We, you, know, you invest in all the equipment, you buy the cameras and the lights and all that stuff. You invest in the website, you put all your money into marketing and all the materials and stuff that you're gonna do. And, and you've kind of invested, you've got a lot of your own skin in the game, you're working towards a certain outcome, and, and then you have an interaction with somebody at a wedding who owns a camera, and because they own a camera, they think that means they know how to run a photography business, and so they tell you, well, what you need to do is this, but you're standing there thinking, uh, you don't really know what you're talking about, uh, Uncle Joe, you, you, you just have a camera. He's not my uncle, I don't know, I, yeah, but but you, you know because you're kind of on the inside, it's not going to work. You know, one of the, and um, please don't hear this the wrong way, but, but one, of the, one of the things that happens to me quite a bit is, and I used to actually do this when I, was, when I wasn't a senior pastor, when I was a worship pastor and I was kind of under some people, I always thought I knew how the senior pastor should be doing his job better, Right? Like when I, when, I was watching, when I was watching the senior pastor do their job, I, I always knew how they should be doing their job. Like if I was a senior pastor, I would be doing this and not that. If I was a senior pastor, this is how I would act. And now, of course, I'm the senior pastor and I understand why a lot of the senior pastors act and did the things that they did because there's a lot more to it than we really understand. But we can kind of stand on the outside and observe and make observations and say, well, this is, if you just did this, it would work. If you just did this, then, then this would be the expected outcome. But you're on the inside, right? You are on the inside and you know how things work. And so you kind of say, thanks for the idea, but it's just not going to work. Let's jump right into the text and that'll all make sense here in just a little bit, I hope. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. 
I want to work through this passage. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit out of order in the way that Luke has kind of described it for us, but I, I want to put all of the pieces together in a certain way and kind of help us be able to see what's really taking place here. First, I want to cover a couple of things. Gennesaret is another name for the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is still in Galilee doing his teaching. Um, so there's, a, there's several dif- different names for the Sea of Gal- Galilee. One, one of the commentaries I read said that Luke called it the Lake of Gennesaret because Luke is specific in his details. And the size of the Sea of Galilee is that it's actually more like the size of a lake. It's not nearly big enough to be called a sea, so he called it a lake to be more accurate. That was one of the, one of the thoughts that uh, was shared. But they're, there, they're, they're still in the same area. They're still around where, where Peter lived, where Simon was. So, you know, still kind of the familiar context that they were in. Um, here it says that the crowd was pressing around him, right? The crowd was kind of pressing in on him. There were a lot of people now that were following Jesus. They were with Jesus. They, they were coming to hear what, had, what he was teaching, and they were coming to see what, would ha- what was happening because they had heard the stories of what had taken place in the previous uh, events that had taken place in Galilee. Remember, we've talked about it, how, how Jesus freed the man from the demon, and Jesus taught in the synagogues, and Jesus healed Peter's mother, and then Jesus spent the night healing people, and he just kind of, he spent a lot of time doing these things, and, and so people were now kind of gathering from probably far, farther and farther away to come and hear what Jesus was teaching. And so there are a lot of people pressing in, and so Jesus responds by getting in a boat and getting out on the water. I want to point out one quick note here before we kind of get into some more details. This idea that that they were listening to the word of God. And here I would say that Luke is, is presenting the argument, presenting the fact that Jesus is God. He is the word of God. So he's speaking the word of God. This is a, a significant statement. So people were coming to hear the word of God from Jesus. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just someone who, who had influence in the region. He was actually sharing the word of God. And people were coming to hear from God himself, the one who is the word himself. Along those lines, uh, Jesus, what Jesus is speaking is the truth because he is the truth. We see throughout Jesus' life that he is fully God and fully man. We've talked about that. That is the incarnation that we started off when we were covering the very beginning of the book of Luke, that that it's God incarnate, God in man form, incarnate in human form. So this is both God and both man. And so so he's completely accepted by people around him as a human being, as a man. They they treat him just like any other man, although they start to treat him once he starts his public, public ministry in a little different light because of what he's doing and what he's saying. So Jesus is fully man, but as people are starting to hear him and observe him, they're starting to realize that this man is something else besides just man, and they're learning that he is also God, and that is the case that John is making. And we saw that with his genealogy. He's taking it all the way back to the fact that Jesus is not just a son of Adam or son of David, but he's also the son of God. But he's speaking the words of God because he is God. He's speaking the truth of God because he is truth. And so what he is saying is true. He cannot speak something that is untrue. In fact, in John chapter 6, we would hear Peter say, in response to some of Jesus' teachings, say, Lord, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Peter would come to an understanding that Jesus' words were eternal life in nature. Jesus is the truth. He would describe himself as the way, the truth, and the life. And so he is the truth. Not only is he the truth, he's the creator of truth. He's created everything as as a part of the triune nature of God. They They created the whole universe and everything that existed. That means they created the operating system that we're running on and truth and morality and all of the things that are a part of this life they created and designed. So because he is truth and because he created truth, he cannot speak anything that is untrue. It is not possible for him to lie. It is not possible for him to say anything that is not true. As we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see that Jesus never sugarcoats his message. Jesus' message is always full of love and mercy, but is also always full of the truth. Jesus was always merciful and and trying to show people the truth, but at the same time, he never shied away from the truth. And the truth is what people need. Truth is what we need. The truth is what the world around us needs. I want to stop for just a minute and say that the truth is what people need, not opinions. A lot of us have opinions that we think are truth, But what people really need is God's truth, not what I think is true or what is really important to me that I have decided is the most important thing. What does God say is the most important? As his followers, we need to know the truth. We need to have our lives built on the truth of God. We need to follow the truth, and we need to allow the truth to refine us, always us adapting to the truth, never us trying to adapt the truth to fit our lives. And we need to allow the truth then to fill us, to transform us and our lives, and we need to actually become the truth so that the world around us may start to know and experience God's actual truth. When we have the opportunity, we need to share the truth as Jesus did in a gracious and loving way. And I know that's where everyone kind of gets nervous and clams up. I know because I get nervous and clam up. You mean I'm going to have to share the truth with somebody? What the Bible teaches is that all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, it is on us, it is our responsibility to bring people into the kingdom of God, to bring people into the kingdom and have them become disciples who are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit like we heard about from April and Taven just a few minutes ago and then to teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do and that Jesus will be with us to do it always and forever. He will empower us to do it. But we're the ones that have the burden of bringing people into the kingdom. We've abdicated that responsibility in a lot of ways. We just say, well, the pastor can do it. That's what he gets paid for. I don't get paid to do what God has called you to do for you. That would be impossible for me to do, especially if you bring that on to every area of life. I can't do for you what God has given you to do. My job is to encourage and to teach and to prod and to push and to share and help you know the truth and encourage you to live it out in your own life. One of my prayers for us as a church is that, is that we become a church who carries this proudly with our pride in God himself, we carry 
the mantle of God that it is our responsibility to make disciples. And when we don't have the opportunities, I'm praying that God will teach us to look for ways to create opportunities. Jesus is teaching out on the boat and he's sharing the truth. Let's back up a little bit. So Jesus now, so Jesus sees the boats and tells Peter to push out from the shore. If you don't know this, that, that when you're, the water actually kind of makes a natural amphitheater. This is, this is one of the reasons we're actually able to have baptism services out in, in places where there's water out in lakes and rivers, and you can hear what is happening in the water as long as the teacher isn't whispering and mumbling. But if the teacher is just, just speaking up a little bit clearly so that everyone can hear, then, then your, the sound waves actually go down and they bounce off the water and kind of spread out so that everyone in the air that's within, that's within a reasonable distance can hear what's happening because of the way water uh, re- works with sound waves. And so, so the, the sound kind of reflects Jesus' voice. So Jesus, so that more people can hear, he gets out into the boat so that he can teach. And, and more people would then be able to hear. And, and uh, some people say there's kind of a natural amphitheater maybe there where Jesus was talking. So, so the sound would have been able to kind of carry out into the hills where people, more people would be able to hear what Jesus is teaching. But it begins with Jesus getting into the boat, into Peter's boat, and and going out just from shore a little bit so that people can hear Jesus teaching. And you have to imagine, Peter is in the boat, right? Peter is in the boat while Jesus is teaching. So he's having the firsthand experience of being with Jesus in the boat, hearing Jesus teach the truth to these crowds. So Jesus does his teaching from out there, and then after Jesus finishes up his teaching, Jesus gives Peter another command. Go out into deep water and put down your nets. Go out into deep water and put down your nets. This type of fishing required two boats, at least from my, from my research this week. The, the way they were fishing and the nets they were using, it, re, it required two boats. So you've got Peter running one fishing boat, and then you've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who would also become Jesus' disciples, that, that are running the other boat, and they're working together. In fact, we see later in the text that they're business partners. They're in this together. They're working together in a relationship in this, in this fishing business. So they would have two boats, the net would be in one boat, and then the other boat would come and they would pull, they would start to pull on the line and pull the net out and row away. Remember, this is days before they had motors, so they had to do all of this by hand. They were either rowing, maybe I guess if they had you know really big fishing operation, really big vessels, they could they could probably use the wind, but probably rowing by hand and, and rowing away from. So it's a lot of work, right? It's a lot of work to do this. And so they would go out and, and one boat would go out and take the net out with it and it had weights in it so that it would drop. And then, and then the other boat, after it had dropped, would come back around and it would bring the, the, the net back around with it while, while, the other net, while the other boat is still in place. And then they would start to haul the nets back up into the boat after the fish had been caught in the nets. And so it would it required two vessels to be able to perform this form of fishing. 
So, for one, when Jesus tells Peter to go out and put down your nets, he's not just giving a command to Peter, but then Peter has to also make sure that that James and John are going to be a part of what's going on. What we see in the text is that they were washing their nets. This means that they were done for the day. They were washing their, their nets. They were finishing up their operation. They had been fishing overnight they had, when they would typically fish because that's when you catch the most fish, especially in this climate where they are. You wouldn't fish in the heat of the day. You would fish in the night because in the evening, the fish come closer to the shore to catch the bugs as they're flying around the shore so that they would have time to eat. And that's the cool time when they would come out. And then when the heat of the day would take place, then they would go back out to the deeper, cooler parts of the water, and so you didn't fish during the heat of the day because the fish were down deep and it was hard to catch them. So they had fished all night and caught nothing. They, they, were, they were finishing up for the day, they were washing their nets, and then Jesus says, um, go back out in the heat of the day when you're not supposed to fish, and put your fish out in the deep part of the water where you're not supposed to fish, and you can imagine what's going to happen, right? Simon's response. First, he calls Jesus master. It's a term of respect for a person of high status. It's like saying commander or chief. Master. So he's being respectful of Jesus. He's not being disrespectful. But he says, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. I respectfully disagree, Jesus. You can kind of get a little bit of Peter's personality right here from from the get-go. Peter always has to get his two cents in, right? Peter's always opening his mouth and inserting his foot. He's speaking before he's thinking, and we kind of get that picture of him throughout the entire gospel. I'm going to do a little bit of, a little bit of uh, implication. This isn't in the text. This may or may not be what was taking place, but, but maybe this is what Peter's thinking. He's, uh, he's thinking, uh, you're a good teacher, but aren't you a carpenter's son? What do you know about fishing? You go make a table, Jesus. Let me do the fishing. We, we're the owners, right? We own this business. We're the ones that have invested in this business. We got our money on the boats and on the nets. We, we have invested in this. We know what, they're, we know, we know what we're doing, Jesus. We, we know how to handle this. You don't fish in the daytime, Jesus. You fish at night. You you don't fish out in the deep waters, Jesus. You fish closer to shore where you can actually catch some fish. I I just, I respectfully disagree. So I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, but I just want to get it on the record that I told you that this wasn't going to work. Just for the record, this is a really bad idea. Just for the record, this isn't going to work. Then we have this amazing, amazing response that we're going to dig in to for the rest of our time this morning. Jesus tells him, put out on the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. 
But because you say so, I will let down the nets. We fall into that a lot as parents, right? I mean, I know I do that a lot with my own kids. You can ask Hannah. I'm sure she can give you examples after the service that that sometimes our kids will be saying, well, why do we have to do this? And I'll say, because I said so. Sometimes I've given the explanation. Sometimes I don't necessarily have a really good explanation, but I know that it's something that needs to happen. I know that it's something that needs to be done, and by doing this, better things are going to happen if we do this thing. And so what needs to happen is you just need to do what I told you to do, right? That's kind of a, a typical parenting thing. Now, if you have a good reason, I think you should give a good reason. Let your kids know the why behind what you're asking them to do. That's, that's good parenting technique, but, but also there is a responsibility on kids, what the Bible teaches, that children are supposed to obey their parents, and so sometimes children just need to obey because I said so. We understand that, but, but when it comes to us responding to someone else who has said so, I think we start to have a little bit of a problem. So in this, we can really take a good example from Peter. Because you say so, I will. I remember Peter had just heard Jesus teach the crowds from his own boat. He took Jesus out in his own boat. And so he's heard Jesus teach. He knows what Jesus' message is. Remember, going back to what Rob was talking about last week, and he did a great job. If you haven't listened to that sermon, go and listen to it on our website and make sure that you get caught up on that. But, but Peter had seen miracles firsthand, right? Remember uh, the, the miracle that, that Rob shared that, that Jesus, after teaching, came back to Peter's house. And when he came back to Peter's house, his mother was sick, and, and Jesus knew that if he didn't heal Peter's mother, mother, that he wouldn't be able to have lunch. And so he healed Peter's mother, and he got to eat, and everything went back to normal, and then in the evening, as Rob shared, people started to bring out everybody to be healed by Jesus in town, and all night long, Jesus healed people, and Peter saw all this firsthand. Peter may have seen or heard what Jesus was teaching in the synagogues. He may have been there. We don't know for sure. He, he, he at least probably heard about Jesus freeing the man from the demon, about telling the demon to leave the man's body. He had definitely heard that story if he wasn't there to see it firsthand. So Peter, Peter had observed all of this stuff. Peter had heard all of this stuff. He had seen miracles firsthand and he heard Jesus teach from his own boat. So Peter had seen enough and heard enough to take what felt like to him would be a risk. Was it a risk? Probably not a big risk, though there are probably some potential risks with it. There's always a risk when you're fishing. may not have cost him any money unless he was paying people to help in the boat, so maybe it would have cost him some money. It may have cost him the trust of his business partners, James and John, if, hey, if you're going to listen to crazy people that don't know how to fish, tell you how to fish, then we're not going to be your business partner. You're going to have to find somebody else to work with. It may have cost him his reputation among the town, I don't know, you know, but maybe if it wouldn't have gone well, then people would have noticed the fishermen going out into deep water during the day, and that's not normal, and then they failed, so of course we're not going to trust Peter anymore as a fisherman. Peter said his piece, and then he said, because you say so, 
I will. And I think that maybe, just maybe, this is where a lot of us today get hung up. I think a lot of us get hung up in this, in this step right here. So it's just, it's, we we want to say our peace, but then if we're not fully convinced that what is about to happen is going to really take place as it has been described, then uh, I know that's what you want me to do, but I don't know. I, I just kind of think my way's better. I know this is what you're saying. I know this is what you're asking of me, but, but you know what? I think it's a really bad idea. I just don't think it's possible. I don't think it's going to work. So I think we kind of get hung up. And, and Peter, where he got it right, is he, he said he said his peace, but then he said, because you say so, I will. We're stuck on the, no, there's no way this is going to work. What, you're telling me this whole Jesus thing is real and that he's going to come into my life and he's going to change everything and if I give my whole life over to him, then everything in my life is going to kind of radically be upended and I'm going to start making progress and following Jesus and everything is really going to be different in my life? Yeah, right. I'm not going to believe that. I mean, come on. Do you really believe that? Do you really think that that's what happens anymore? There's no way this is going to work. There's no way we don't end up on the news. I've been around the block too many times. You're just wrong. But if we can kind of flash forward a little bit and pick some words from Peter like we already heard, Jesus has the words of eternal life. His words are true, and he cannot speak something that is untrue. And if Jesus' words are all true, that must mean in all situations that he speaks, his words are true no matter what, And who are we to question his words? And I think until we take the step of, because you say so, I will, we're not really following Jesus. I don't think until we're willing to say this step, you know what, Jesus, because you say so, I will. It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what you're asking me to do. I don't really see clearly where you're telling me to go. But because you say so, I'm going to go. Because you say so, I will follow. And I think one of the reasons that this is so important is because it's not until we die to ourselves and become alive to God through Jesus Christ that we actually start to follow Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. We have to die to ourselves daily when we're following Jesus Christ. We have to be willing to follow Jesus even when it doesn't make sense. We have to follow Jesus when it goes against our own understanding. When Jesus tells us to do something that doesn't mesh with our way of thinking, we have to trust Jesus and go with what Jesus said. We have to be willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads us because we know that his words are true and he cannot lead us in a path that he does not want us to go. It is not possible for him. His words are faithful. He is faithful. As he has promised, it will come to fruition. His words are true. We know that he is for us, that he is not against us, and because He is for us. We know that we can follow him because the God that is for us is the God that is giving us the words. And if we're willing to follow him and the words that he tells us, we know he's not going to lead us to harm. But we struggle with that. I would venture to say that many of us have never really experienced the joy of following Jesus because we haven't uttered that phrase because you say so. At the heart of it all, I think we all think that we're smarter 
and we know more about our lives than Jesus. We know more about our lives than God knows about us. God is out there in some distant place, but I'm in my life right now. Yeah, I believe in God. I believe that God exists, but, but he's not here walking through what I'm walking through right now. And if, it, if he knew what I was going through, what I have gone through to get to this point, he wouldn't ask me to do that. If he knew how hard I had worked and how much I had invested into this business and how, how hard I had worked to build up a reputation in the community so that people would see me as a trustworthy fisherman, and if he knew how much skin I have in this game, he wouldn't ask me to put it all on the line just to follow him. But the truth is, Jesus is with us right here and right now. Jesus does know what we've gone through. Jesus does know how hard we've worked to get where we are. And it's because he knows us and he knows you personally and intimately that he's saying to you, follow me. It's because he knows what you're walking through. It's because he knows the, the journey that you're on. It's because he knows the struggles and the trials and the heartaches that he's saying to you, follow me. What is our answer to this question going to be? See, we're in this series called Investigating Jesus, and if we want to get past the investigative stage to learning about Jesus and what he did to actually knowing who he is and what he wants for us, we have to be willing to say, because you say so, I will. Without a doubt, God is going to lead each and every one of us as his followers in a direction that's going to require us to take a step of faith and follow him in our lives. He's going to expect us to trust him that we will be able to follow his lead no matter where he takes us. We have to be willing to say, because you say so, I will. Look at what happened for Peter. Verse 6. When they had done so, they went from because you say so to they had done so. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat Hey! You can hear it echo across the water. Get over here now! Right? Because what's happening is, is they're pulling the nets into the boat, and we learn from the text that they filled both boats so, so full of fish that they began to sink. So you can imagine Peter and maybe whoever is with Peter in this boat pulling so many fish into the boat, and he sees his boat sinking and slowly going down further into the water and realizing that if I don't get help soon, then I'm going to be underwater, and this isn't going to work anymore. We're going to lose all these. Hey! Get over here! We need help! And they caught so many fish that both boats began to sink. They went from because you say so to we did so. And look what happened. How did Peter respond to this? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. What did Jesus get called by Peter earlier? 
master. Something changed in Peter, didn't it? He's not calling Jesus master. He's not just being respectful. Now he's calling him Lord. As we learn from Peter's life from this point forward, it's, it's not a complete full revelation of who Jesus is yet. He's, he's still getting the pieces. They're coming together, but he says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were, listen, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. There's this residual effect of following Jesus that when you follow Jesus, the people in your life are going to see what happens. When people see Jesus doing astonishing things in your life, the people connected to you are going to see Jesus do astonishing things in their life. And in the end, that's going to lead to drawing more people to Jesus. But the path from master to Lord is because you say so, I will. The path from Jesus is a respectable man that I think that we should follow, Jesus, or at least we should listen and give him you know, a chance to say what he says. The path from, from respect to surrender is because you say so, I will. What changed in Peter? How, how did Peter change? How did, the, how did this change take place? Because I was thinking about this all week as I was reading through this passage and studying this. Something changed. Something took place in Peter, and we see the change in Peter because Jesus had heard Jesus teach. Remember that. Jesus taught from Peter's boat. Peter had seen the miracles firsthand. His own mother-in-law got healed, and then he saw people get healed in or outside of his home all night long. He saw the miracles firsthand. So, so he had already heard the teaching. He had already seen the miracles. What changed in Peter? He knew Jesus was a a respectable man. He was a respectable teacher. What is it that changed? Was it just the fact that this miracle happened in his boat? Uh, Maybe, maybe, and certainly that's a part of what took place in this story, but but could it be that, that the biggest change that happened is that he was willing to say, because you say so, I will. He was willing to to follow Jesus even if it didn't make sense to him in that day. It's crazy is that Jesus didn't leave it at that. I mean, already, I mean, this is an amazing story. Jesus comes, there's thousands of people following Jesus. He goes out on the boat so he can teach. Jesus sends the people out into the water and they fish and they catch so many fish. It's like, it's just this amazing story that's already taking place, but Jesus doesn't finish it there. Jesus doesn't leave it at that. That whole boat thing, that whole fish thing, that's just a primer. That's all just preparation for something that's about to come. It's the introductory course of what Jesus was actually preparing Peter, James, and John for. If you're willing to obey me in this, you have no idea what's in store for, for the future. This is just, just a picture. It says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Love that phrase. Jesus is calling Peter to follow him, and James and John also come along. He's calling Peter to follow, and he starts, don't be afraid. Because of what you've heard me teach, because of what you've seen me do, because you've obeyed me and done what I commanded you, you have no reason to be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Don't be afraid of what I'm about to ask you, Peter. Don't be afraid of what I'm about to tell you is going to happen for your life. What I'm about to ask you may sound completely crazy. There's none of this in there. This doesn't exist in the story, at least as, as far as Luke is retelling it. There's no reason to fear. What, what I'm telling you is weird. It's out there. But, but listen, there's no reason to fear. Um, you're not going to do this anymore. You're going to fish for people. And this is where we see the change. What was Peter's response when Jesus said, go out into the deep? He says, um, Jesus, I don't think that's going to work, but because you say so, I will. Now Jesus says you're going to fish for people. And what's their response? You would think it would be like, um, what do you mean fish for people, Jesus? That sounds a little crazy. Like It sounds like maybe you've gone over the edge a little bit. Well, we're going to throw our nets over the people now, and we're going to try to haul people in and take them to the market and sell them. What are you talking about, Jesus? This is just a little bit outside there. It's the box of what's normal. This is kind of cu- uh, cu- crossed into to crazy. Um, I think that's what we would expect from Peter, right? That would be a normal response for Peter, but... What, is the, what does it tell us happened? It says, they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. There was no interrogation. They just pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. They left two boats so full of fish that they were about to sink. They left it, followed him. They left their boats. They had invested their own hard-earned dollars into these boats. They left their nets that they had invested their, their dollars into, their money into buying the equipment so that they could fish and create a living for themselves. And Jesus says, uh, you're going to fish for people, and they just, they just leave it all. They just leave it all and follow Jesus. Why? What was the change? Because Jesus was no longer master. Jesus was no longer just a good teacher. He's now Lord. They took a step of faith. They did what Jesus commanded them to do, even though their own life experience told them not to do this thing. They experienced, as a result, God at work in a way they could not have planned or imagined because they were willing to say, because you say so, I will. See, if we, if we really want to experience God in our lives, if we really want to experience God in our Monday through Saturday lives, which is my prayer for every single one of us in this place, every single person who calls 6-8 church home, I, I just have this desperate desire that each and every one of us experience God in our Monday through Friday lives. But, but it's not going to happen until we say, because you say so, I will. Until we say, you are now Lord of my life, not just this guy that I respect your teaching, but whatever you say for my life, I'm going to do it because you said to do it. We live in this world that we've talked about so many times where we're fierce, independent thinkers and we think more of what we think than anything else. Our opinion is the greatest opinion on the planet. If everyone would just follow my opinion, everyone would be good. There would be order on earth. We are fierce, independent thinkers.
We have to lose the questioning. We have to lose the doubting. We have to lose the interrogating. When Jesus gives us a command, we need to learn to respond because you say so. Because, oh, this seems weird, but uh, because you say so. Doesn't make sense to me, Jesus, but because you say so. Because, because you say so, I will. What I've learned from my life is that we will rarely have all of the answers to all of our questions, to all the whys and the hows and the whats and the whens and the whos before we're supposed to act in faith. Jesus wants us to follow him where he leads us without all of the data first because a lot of times what Jesus is going to do is completely new. There isn't data for it. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is God's word. He cannot lead us in a way that is untrue. If we're following him, we cannot be led astray because he is going to lead us where he wants us to go. We may not know what it's going to be look like, but based on what happened with Peter, James, and John, I can guarantee, yes, I can guarantee it will be worth it. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, which Luke also wrote. On this day called Pentecost, where the promised Holy Spirit would come and everyone would be full of the Spirit of Christ and have this power of the resurrected Jesus Christ living in them, and Peter, full of the Spirit, would now share the truth with people for the first time. And in much the same way, their boats would be so full that they could hardly pull them to shore. 3,000 people were baptized. See, Jesus brought in an abundance of fish when Peter obeyed him in the water, and then Jesus brought in an abundance of people who would be baptized with water. In fact, the church today exists as a direct result of Peter, James, and John. The reason we're sitting here today is because of faithful people who just did what Jesus said, who said, because you say so, I will, and the word of God spread. It's because of people like Peter, James, and John, and Paul, who had this interaction with Jesus Christ, and he said, I'm going to follow you. Okay, let's go. And from this moment, he has this interaction. He goes into the world, and he eventually ends up sharing the gospel with all of the Gentile countries, which which is how we end up hearing about the gospel message of Jesus Christ is because this thing that seemed radical and crazy to the apostle Paul, he had to leave an entire life that he had known up until that point and abandon it and actually go and be a part of the message he was persecuting because he had this encounter with Jesus Christ. Because you say so, I will. Where are we today? Where are we this morning? Are we still struggling with this thing that says, you know what, I think I know better than Jesus and I just don't think Jesus understands if Jesus Jesus really knew my life, I don't think he'd be asking me to do what Jesus is asking me to do. And I would argue with you this morning that it's because Jesus knows your life, he's asking you to do what he's asking you to do. And he has so much more for you if you can just say, because you say so, I will. We need to get not only from because you say so, I will, but because you say so, I did. and just see where Jesus leads us.
Let's stand together this morning. While we're standing, I'm going to ask Jim and if, uh, those who have those cards if we can pass those out. We've been talking about Easter. Easter is a very important part of our church calendar. And I fully and firmly believe that in each and every one of our lives in this room, God has put people in our lives so that we can live our lives full of God's love, His truth, His mercy, and His grace in front of people that don't yet know Him so that they might see Jesus in us and be drawn to Jesus through us. The Bible teaches, and we don't shy away from the teaching. It's not that popular anymore, but the Bible teaches that's on the responsibility of every single believer. Every single person who follows Jesus Christ has the responsibility of making disciples. And I know for many of us, it seems like it's out there. It's way outside our comfort zones. It's way out in the realm of the crazy and the unknown. But, but God has given it to us as a command, and that is part of what we're supposed to do because he said so. Jesus said, go into the world, all the world, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded, and I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm going to ask you to take a seat. I know I just had you stand up. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that because I said so. <laughs> we want to ask the band to play instrumentally before we sing together. Jesus has given us all this command to make disciples. I guarantee you there's someone in my life and our lives that Jesus wants us to reach out into their life to bring into the kingdom of God.